Liberty Tabletop is America's flatware company, the only flatware that's manufactured in the U.S. of A. There are over 38 patterns to choose from. Like a couple of patterns and you can't decide, you can order a sample of each. And check out their website at libertytabletop.com and enter the promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. Just in time for you to freshen up your holiday table setting with Liberty Tabletop flatware, manufactured in the United States. They make great wedding and Christmas gifts, too. Flatware that can be passed down for generations. So check out their website at LibertyTabletop.com and enter promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. LibertyTabletop.com, promo code BEN. Greetings and welcome to this collaboration, a special collaboration today between Political Pursuits, the podcast, and Planet Logic. I'm Lou Ann Anderson and joined here today with my buddy Lynn Woolley, also known from Talk 1370 in Austin, the Cardle and Woolley Show, heard 7 to 9 a.m. Monday through Friday. Lynn and I are excited to have you here with us as well because today we are celebrating. We are celebrating the life of Marion Michael Morrison. Does that name sound familiar? Eh, may ring a, ring a bell here or there. But Mr. Morrison was more commonly known as one John Wayne. Today would have been John Wayne's 116th birthday. He was born um, on this day, May 26th in 1907. And this is something, the kind of a project that Lynn and I have talked about for years. And we just finally decided that today, in honor of the Duke's birthday, we needed to do this. And what we wanted to do was go through and talk about an interview that John Wayne did with Playboy back in May of 1971. You may all remember in the 70s, you know, there was always the joke of, oh, you know, I don't look, I don't get Playboy for the for the pictures. I get it for the articles. Well, in all actuality, they had some pretty good articles back there. They would do long form interviews with people. And I mean, there really was some interesting content. And so who is it in our interview today, Lynn? Um, who is the, the author of that? Well, it was a guy by the name of Richard Warren Lewis, a contributing editor. And I'll say this, you know, in being a young male at one time, and I'm still half of that now, uh, but there were three interviews that Playboy did that made a lot of, of, uh, of publicity. One, of course, was the famous John Lennon interview where he went through and gave his version of who wrote what Beatles song and how the Beatles got along and that that interview has gone down as a classic. And then there was, of course, the famous I Have Lust in My Heart interview, which was with Jimmy Carter. And no, then, no, 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 no. Was it Carter? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yes, yeah, it was, yes, yes, yeah, it, was, it was. It was, yes, it was yes. J- James Earl, to be exact. And then let's call this uh, What Would John Wayne Say? And the thing that is so interesting about that, we don't have to wonder what John Wayne would say about today's politics and the seemingly crazy things that are going on in today's world. Because when you go back and look at this interview, and I printed out, it's what, 23 pages? Correct. 23 pages long. Basically, 
Other than the LGBTQ stuff, they pretty much touch on almost everything that's causing controversy in today's world. From cancel culture to liberalism in education to affirmative action, civil rights. uh, Uh, Reparations. Reparations, that's right. Welfare, social justice, mobocracy versus democracy, no-go zones, anarchists, um, fighting the administrative state. John Wayne... You know, certainly known as a, a, a premier actor and, and, you know, lauded deservedly for, for so many of those things. The depth of his thinking and how um, I think Lynn used the word prescient earlier. And mm-hmm. absolutely, this was a man who was ahead of his time in his think. He was a product of his times because we're going to go through here and we'll tell you some quotes. And, 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 and if you're shocked, uh, don't don't be because we're going to do some quotes and we're not going to we're not going to bleep them. Yeah. Um, here, here is something I wanted to read from the introduction to this. By 1969, having made the list of top 10 box office attractions for 19 consecutive years, Wayne had grossed more than $400 million for his studios, more than any other star in motion picture history. But because of his uncompromising squareness and his arch conservative politics, he was still largely a prophet without honor. In Hollywood. So in many ways, he was a victim of cancel culture. Well, he was too big to fail. Uh, you know, when, when you put John Wayne on the back of a horse, a horse and put him in Chisholm or put him in uh, Rio Bravo or put him in True Grit, people were going to flock to the, to the movie houses. And, uh, you know, unlike maybe Target today or Bud Light, uh, they want. They still were really concerned with making a profit, and you could not argue with John Wayne's box office appeal. And despite him not getting other acclaim that was was due him during his lifetime, I will say that on his seventy second birthday, which was literally weeks before he died, he was awarded the Congress, Congressional Gold Medal. And then posthumously, he was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom. This was on June 9th, 1980. That was done by President Jimmy Carter. Remember that John Wayne died on June 11th, 1979. And uh, some information that I came across here notes that, that Wayne had attended Carter's inaugural ball in 1977 as a member of the loyal opposition, as he described it. Um, He also was in 1999, the American Film Institute named Wayne the 13th among the greatest male screen legends of classic Hollywood cinema. And then, of course, um, we do know that that John Wayne, once again, posthumously cancel culture came after him because the airport there in Orange County, California is named after him, the John Wayne Airport, and there's a big nine-foot bronze statue of him that stands there at the the entrance. It's long been a place where, you know, anytime you flew into that airport as a tourist, you, of course, got your picture made in front of the John Wayne statue. But anyway, that is something that the changing of that name has been something that has been brought up 
on several times and efforts have been made to change the names and thankfully the duke and his statue are still standing tall yes in we're orange that, county yes yeah we're saying that here in the shadow of fort cavazos instead of fort hood right. uh, as part of this radical culture can one cancel. other little fun fact though of this too before we move on is that in 2016 republican assemblyman this is in california matthew harper proposed making may 26th as John Wayne Day in California. The resolution was struck down by a vote of 35 to 20 due to Wayne's views on race and his support of controversial organizations such as the John Birch Society and the House Un-American Activities Committee. So with that uh, little backdrop, let's move into what exactly what would John Wayne say? I thought the opening question that was asked by Playboy, and when we say Playboy, we are again referring to the guy who did this, Richard Warren Lewis. The first question, how do you feel about the state of the motion picture business today? We're talking about May 1971. He said, I'm glad I won't be around much longer to see what they do with it. What would John Wayne think of today's movies? Sellout? Well, probably so. Of course, he didn't. He didn't know the concept of CG, so Star Wars and things like that, you know, probably wouldn't appeal to him all that much. But I think what what we're talking about when we ask that question, the state of the motion picture business today, is is the subliminal content, and in some cases, the outright blatant content of the movies, which is all Marxist in nature. But he also, Wayne was very much a businessman. Oh, yes, he was an actor, but he was a businessman. And with that, he always seemed to have an eye on the business side of the movies. And that's what he said that, you know, the men who control the big studios today are stock manipulators and bankers. They know nothing about our business, be it the business of movies, of making good movies, of making content that is aesthetically pleasing and of some type of artistic value you know he goes on and says <laughs> that some of the guys remind me of high class whores well uh, basically was, that they'd do anything for a buck absolutely but he was talking too about movies being perverted now think about 1971 and how you thought the movies might be perverted then and then think about what uh, some of the trash we see on the screen today so playboy asks what kind of films do you consider perverted wayne said oh easy rider midnight cowboy I'm quoting directly now. Midnight Cowboy, a story about two fags, qualifies, but don't get me wrong, as far as a man and a woman is concerned, I'm awfully happy there's a thing called sex. It's an extra something God gave us. I see no reason why it shouldn't be in pictures. Healthy, lusty sex is wonderful. And because of that one statement... Much of the press vilified him as homophobic Mm -hmm. for having made that statement, which, you know, that probably was not at all an uncommon sentiment at the time. I would say 99% of the people in America in 1971 had that sentiment. And would have used that terminology. Yeah, yes. and, and the other and, and the other percentage was probably homosexual, uh, but, but he would not have believed what you know we have today. And I'm not going to say how far we've come, because in some instances it's how far we've regressed. Nobody wants to be anybody's in anybody's bedroom 
But uh, we do have an interesting situation today arising out of this with Target and Northern Face and Bud Light and Miller Light and all that. Well, I think it's interesting. Something else um, that he was talking about with regard to the, the studios was that he said, as much as I couldn't stand some of the old time moguls, these men took an interest in the future of their business. And I mean, he get, gets here down, starts talking about censorship and even self-censorship. He goes on and he says they had integrity. There was a, stre- a stretch when they realized they'd made a hero out of, quote, goddamn gangster heavy in crime movies, that they were doing a discredit to our country. So the moguls voluntarily took it upon themselves to stop making gangster pictures. No censorship from the outside. They were responsible to the public. But today's executives don't give a damn. In their efforts to grab box off, grab the box office that these sex pictures are attracting, they're producing garbage. But I think I think the motives have changed. Um, I, I believe that the content in today's motion pictures that a lot of people would find objectionable, and certainly John Wayne would have found objectionable, is now about changing the world into a more Marxist, more Soviet-style world. I don't think that they're as as money-grabbing as they are. Look, for example, uh, as a television analogy at CNN. They don't do anything right if they want an audience, but they do everything right if they're trying to promote communism and socialism. I, I think there's 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 legitimacy to that because what Wayne was saying and commending the industry for was their self censorship and the fact that they didn't want to be people promoting the idea of gangsters and you know people committing illicit acts. Whereas now we have a we have a media we have industries like the movie industries that are actual advocates for certain types of behaviors or certain mm-hmm. genres in life. And um, so so from that standpoint, yeah, we have people that are pushing, that are promoting ideas that he is back here actually commending the other people, um, you know, his peers in the industry that jaded as he saw them, that did feel a, more of an obligation to produce more more healthy righteous content for the public have you uh, as we move into some of these movies have you seen true grit lately yeah all right well, there's a couple of versions there's the one later with uh, uh with um bridges yeah yeah what's yeah. his first jeff bridges, jeff bridges. Mm-hmm. uh almost a complete scene by scene remake the original one was uh, john wayne as rooster cogburn and glenn uh, campbell and glenn campbell in yeah, there as and well Kim darby yeah Absolutely. It, it, I would put that as one of my favorite John Wayne movies, oh, Pro- probably up there. Liberty Tabletop is America's flatware company, the only flatware that's manufactured in the U.S. of A. There are over 38 patterns to choose from. Like a couple of patterns and you can't decide, you can order a sample of each. And check out their website at libertytabletop.com and enter the promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. Just in time for you to freshen up your holiday table setting with Liberty Tabletop Flatware, manufactured in the United States. They make great wedding and Christmas gifts, too. Flatware that can be passed down for generations. So check out their website at LibertyTabletop.com and enter promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. LibertyTabletop.com, promo code BEN. 
Liberty Tabletop is America's flatware company, the only flatware that's manufactured in the U.S. of A. There are over 38 patterns to choose from. Like a couple of patterns and you can't decide, you can order a sample of each. And check out their website at libertytabletop.com and enter the promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. Just in time for you to freshen up your holiday table setting with Liberty Tabletop flatware, manufactured in the United States. They make great wedding and Christmas gifts, too. Flatware that can be passed down for generations. So check out their website at LibertyTabletop.com and enter promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. LibertyTabletop.com, promo code BEN. With uh, the man who shot Liberty Valance, maybe the Searchers, uh, certainly Hatari. I always like that one. Ballad of the Green Berets or or the Green Berets. Um, True Grit, though, I want to ask you, is in today's world... As, as our culture has changed, is Rooster Cogburn the ideal American man? Depends who you ask. <laughs> it worked pretty well for me. Well, you know, I would aspire to be something like that. And, and when she looks him in the eye and she says, they told me I needed to find somebody with true grit. And they told me you had true grit. And he's drunk off his you-know-what. He is, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but but he, he ends up coming through, and it had the emotion in it when she falls into the rattlesnake pit, for one, and when he drove the horse to death, so trying to get back so hard uh, on that horse toward the end of the movie. Wow, so can you imagine a scenario where you have a really imperfect vessel doing the right things to help rectify a situation that in many ways seems hopeless. Can you hold on just a moment? I believe Donald Trump is on the phone. (laughs) Yes. uh, That is Trumpish, isn't it? Yes, very much. That is very Very much. Very Trumpish. Yes. And John Wayne, and, you know, listening or reading through this and, you know, what I know of other interviews and things, he, he never shied away from the fact that he himself personally was a very flawed vessel. Well, and, and Lewis asked him, was True Grit the best film you ever made? And he said, no, I don't think so. Two classic westerns were better, Stagecoach and Red River, and a third, The Searchers, which I thought deserved more praise than it got. That's a great rock and roll movie, by the way. Uh, do you know why? Two reasons. Mm. Number one, uh, the one name. of the uh, rock and roll bands became the Searchers. Right. And Buddy Holly, one of his two biggest hits was That'll Be the Day. And, of course, John Wayne threw out the Searcher said, That'll be the day. And uh, a, a, a great uh, influence on the world of rock and roll. But he says the Searchers deserve more praise than it got. And then he brings up The Quiet Man was certainly one of the best. And uh, then he mentions the long voyage home. And then they ask him, well, which one was the worst? And he said, there's about 50 of them that are tied. But the way I see it, John Wayne was John Wayne. He might have been called Rooster Cogburn on the screen, or he might have been called uh, Liberty Valance on the screen or whatever, but he was pretty much who he was. Right, right. And it was thought that even the Rooster Cogburn character was a little bit of a composite of so many of, of those characters. Yes. Of him, yes. personally, as well as many of the characters that he had played throughout the, the decades. Yeah, that, and one of the things that's interesting as we go through this, why were you nicknamed Duke? 
Well, I was called Duke after a dog, a very good Airedale out of the Baldwin Kennels, and he said uh, they didn't think my real name, Marion Michael Morrison, sounded American enough, so somebody came up with John Wayne. I didn't have any say in it, but I think it's a great name. And I liked also he talked about that initially he was positioned as a singing cowboy. The only problem was that was that he couldn't sing or play a guitar, and it made those live performances really, really awkward. And so at a point he said, you know, I can't handle this. And so he talks about how the studio went out and they brought the best hillbilly recording artist in the country to Hollywood to take his place and that for the first couple pictures it kind of they were having a hard time selling this guy but he finally caught on oh and by the way that guy's name was Gene Autry Autry yeah Yeah, so he did absolutely have a pretty good little run as as things got going (laughs) all right I'm going to go on over to page seven here there because this is where Wayne gets into some of the liberalism of the day which in all honesty sounds a lot like some of the liberalism of our day he's talking about Uh, An articulate liberal group causing certain things in our country. And I wonder how the young people who read Playboy are going to allow these things to go on. George Putnam, the Los Angeles news analyst, put it succinctly when he said, quote, What kind of a nation is it that fails to understand that freedom of speech and assembly are one thing and anarchy and treason are quite another that allows known communists to serve as teachers to pervert to pervert the natural loyalties and ideals of our kids, filling them with fear and doubt and hate and downgrading patriotism and all of our heroes of the past. Uh, we're talking about one or two communist teachers there. How many do we have today? I was going to say, and this is remind remind you folks, this is 1971. That May same, 1971. That same comment that same statements can mm-hmm. be made today with complete and total um, relevance yeah there is no question and Lewis says you blame all this on the liberals by all this he's talking about teaching communism in the schools Wayne says well the liberals seem to be quite willing to have communists teach their kids in school the communists realized they couldn't start a workers revolution in the United States since the workers were too affluent and too progressive so the commies decided on the next best thing and that's to start on the school start with the kids and i'll say in today's world they have almost totally taken over our schools our colleges our universities and our media and you know who also would concur completely with that and has spoken in that same point is chris rufo that's done all of the that's done so much research and everything you know working with the manhattan institute oh chris rufo is absolutely amazing he talks exactly the same point that because because economics was not enough of a catalyst in order to start some type of revolutionary type type environment or to foment that that they had to turn to race and then yes they turned to race because are, the workers movement were too affluent to use right, a workers movement they, they turned are, to to race and, uh, and and sex and and then they are using the schools as a platform by which to promote that ideology and and Wayne said in the interview I don't want somebody like Angela Davis inculcating an enemy doctrine in my kids' minds. Angela Davis, one of the most infamous uh, left-wing provocateurs, uh, uh, anarchists, whatever you want to call her, of the 1970s. 
And how many Angela Davises do we have in today's world who are inculcating these things into that, our kids? With, I mean, they have they have parts of universities called the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Department mm-hmm. that does this on a daily basis. Well, and then and then Lewis goes through there and he says, you know, well, you know, Angela Davis says that the people that want to take away her teaching credentials are doing so they're actually just discriminating against her because she's black. And, you know, he asked Wayne, do you think there's any truth to that? And he says, with a lot of blacks, there's quite a bit of resentment along with their descent, and possibly rightfully so. But we can't all of a sudden get down on our knees and turn everything over to the leadership of the blacks. Okay, folks, here comes here comes another here one of comes. the, biggie, yep, the yep. biggies of, of this article that got all the headlines. Hold on to your hat. Quote, I believe in white supremacy until the blacks are educated to a point of responsibility. I don't believe in giving authority and positions of leadership and judgment to irresponsible people. Irresponsible people is what he said. Now, granted, he is aiming a lot of that at the the black population, but it also kind of, to me, it made me think of affirmative action. And, you know, his idea, and then he goes on and he talks about, you know, are you equipped to judge which blacks are irresponsible and which leaders inexperienced? And and Wayne answers that it's not my judgment. The academic community has developed certain tests that determine whether the blacks are sufficiently equipped scholastically, but some blacks have tried to force the issue and enter college when they haven't passed the test and don't have the requisite background. Well, that comes from not having a, a merit-based society. But when you're when you're talking about this type of thing, I mean, nobody wants tests for voting or poll taxes or things like that that were designed to keep blacks from participating in society. But I think what, what John Wayne was talking about, I believe in white supremacy until uh, black people have been educated to a point of responsibility. Now, this was what is this, 30, 40 years ago? All right, so today you have black people who are sometimes maybe the best intellectuals of our time, like the late Walter E. Williams, like Thomas Sowell. Uh, uh, ben Carson. Yeah, Ben Ben Carson. Uh, I would point to Tim Scott, who, who was announced for president, had a marvelous speech, Reagan-esque. Uh, Candace Owens, who makes just about as much sense as anybody. Uh, there, there's so many. I mean, we're we're way past this particular time. But I think what he was trying to say, and he just blurted it out in the, the way he thought it. But to me, if you want to translate that, it's that, yes, uh, when people are going to participate in our society at the governmental or decision-making level, they have to have a certain capacity of knowledge. And I, I believe we are at a point now where the black community, as well as the white community, are split on that. Part of the black community says, hey, get out there, get that degree, understand things, uh, and then you can move into society and be whatever you can be. The other half says, nope, if you, get a, if you go to school and you make good grades, you're acting white. And that is that is something that has held the black community back is that particular attitude. We are one nation at this point. Now, we're very divided right now. But as one nation, 
you should be able to take your God-given talents, improve upon them either in school or by your own experience or whatever, and compete for any job. And I think that's where we are today. But I do think that in today's society, sometimes if you're a minority, that gives you a leg up. Well, and that's something that... um that he goes on later and says that he thinks that any black who can compete with a white today can get a better break than a white man. And he said, you know, I wish they'd tell me where in the world they have it better than right here in America. And to a point, there were people that were trying to ensure that blacks were that you know their rights were respected and that they did have opportunity and so to some degree he may have been correct but the main thing you know i keep going back to that as much as the white supremacy you know was was a bit of a shocker for some people although let's remember the man was born in 1906 and so talk about being a product of his time but nonetheless he's talking about i don't believe in giving authority and positions of leadership and judgment to irresponsible people well he that didn't would say include irresponsible in, black people yeah. brown people I was gonna male say. female he's saying people he believed in merit we have two supremely irresponsible people at the top right now Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. It has nothing to do with race or gender. One of them is a white male, uh, uh, I would guess a, a leader, if not a child of, of the uh, J- Jim Crow era, uh, back when he was first uh, in Congress and who sang the praises of, of a Ku Klux Klan Klegel uh, when he spoke at his funeral. Uh, the other one is a, a woman. I've never been absolutely certain what Kamala Harris is ethnically. Uh, she's not, uh, I don't know whether you Jamaican, would, Jamaican and Indian, I believe. Yeah, I believe so. I don't think she's a black person, but she claims it. But regardless of that, she's incompetent, as is Joe Biden, unless you subscribe to the theory that the mental derangement of Biden's all a is all a, uh, a farce and that he really knows what he's doing and he's using that as a cover. But I think, you know, we, we have got to move back into a meritocracy. And I think what Wayne was saying back in 1971 is that we have to move toward a meritocracy and a time when all people have totally equal opportunity to be what they will be. And there are people that are from that era. I mean, I would say Walter E. Williams was from that era. Yes. Well, and he talk, He goes on and he talks about blacks in Hollywood. And he says that, you know, if it's supposed to be a black character, naturally I use a black actor. But I don't go so far as hunting for positions for them. He said, I think the Hollywood studios are carrying their tokenism a little too far because evidently there was a movement that oh, the, the blacks were 10% of the population, so we mm-hmm. need to have 10% of our workforce be black well, and be I remember, represented. And I he re- said, <laughs> he goes on and he says, you know, in terms of like grips or sound men who are black, he said, you know, he doesn't think 10% of that population has trained themselves for that kind of work. So- Liberty Tabletop is America's flatware company, the only flatware that's manufactured in the U.S. of A. There are over 38 patterns to choose from. Like a couple of patterns and you can't decide, you can order a sample of each. And check out their website at libertytabletop.com and enter the promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. Just in time for you to freshen up your holiday table setting with Liberty Tabletop Flatware, manufactured in the United States. 
They make great wedding and Christmas gifts, too. Flatware that can be passed down for generations. So check out their website at LibertyTabletop.com and enter promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. LibertyTabletop.com, promo code BEN. New on CuriosityStream. I'm James Burke. I'm going to take you on a journey through time. James Burke's visionary series returns. Reimagined for our time. Now, this is all uncharted territory. The Washington Post hails Burke as one of the most intriguing minds in the Western world. The New York Times raves he careens from one great moment in history to another. Where do we want to go from here? Experience all new connections. So what's the next connection? With monthly, annual, and bundled plans, find the one that works for you at curiositystream.com. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're not going to be there. Well, and They in, get themselves it, trained? Come on in. And in the world of 1971, it had not progressed to the point where we are now. But, uh, I mean, you know, look, there's this whole idea of saying if we have 10% of the people in the country or of a certain color or a certain race, then every institution, every church, every governmental entity, uh, every school ought to be represented in that way. That's just not the way society works. And I think, I think in these days where a guy like Joe Biden pushes it real heavily, I mean, Kamala Harris was certainly not chosen for her ability. She was chosen for the boxes that she checks. Our Joint Chiefs of Staff now being chosen by the boxes they check. Supreme Court nominees chosen for the boxes they check. That's what Wayne was decrying. And and I think I can't speak or get into his mind other than this interview, because he seems to have spoken more freely here than anywhere else I'd ever seen. But I think he's sort of close to where I am. Uh, People... People can be any race in America. They can have any kind of a cultural background or, or a, a background based on having a rich family like, say, George W. Bush or come out of a poor family like, say, Ben Carson. But the biggest part of this, the biggest part of the equation is what do you want to be, how bad do you want it, and how much are you willing to sacrifice to get your place to get to a place where you can be what you want to be. And as we move on on through some of this, he also goes in talking about the the Indians and that, you know, the the interviewer talks about for years American Indians have played an important if subordinate role in Wayne's films and does he feel any empathy for them, which it seemed kind of like the implication is, you know, have you exploited the red man? And anyway, so Wayne goes on and he talks about how that he didn't doesn't feel that we did wrong in taking this great country away from them. Our so-called stealing of this country from them was just a matter of survival. There were great numbers of people who needed new land, and Indians were selfishly trying to keep it for themselves. And then, you know, when he asked if, oh, well, weren't the Indians, by virtue of prior possession, the rightful owners of the land? And he said, look, you know, I'm sure there have been inequalities. If those inequalities are presently affecting any of the Indians now alive, they have a right to a court hearing. But, oh, by the way, what happened 100 years ago in our country can't be blamed on us today. And in talking about if the Indians today are being dehumanized on reservations, mind you, this is back in 1971. He said, which I love this, I'm quite sure that the concept of a government-run reservation would have an ill effect on anyone. But that seems to be what the socialists are working for now, to have 
everyone cared for from cradle to grave. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I'll go back to the words of that great current day philosopher that you probably have heard of. Uh, That would be Bill Maher, who talks about something that he calls presentism. And I think he's absolutely right. And that's what John Wayne is talking about there. You have to live in the era in which you live. And if we turn around and blame our founding fathers, even though that was a very different time and people had different attitudes and norms were considered different, especially from what today's left-wing political correct causes are, uh, we're, we're committing presidism. Uh, under presidism, we have to go back through history. So we give the land that's now Mexico back to the Incas and the Aztecs and see who they got it from and then see who they got it from and finally try to restore everything back to its absolute original owner until we get back to the Garden of Eden. It's not doable. And in my humble opinion, which is usually at least semi-correct, if you go in and conquer another country, and, and this may, may be the Vladimir Putin uh, doctrine, I don't know, but if he goes in and conquers Ukraine, if, if the Palestinians can conquer Israel, then until somebody knocks them off, it's their land. Well, and the Indians at that point in time evidently were looking for, as the uh, Lewis, the interviewer, refers to it as they that they had demanded reparations. And Wayne says, what happened between their forefathers and our forefathers is so far back, right, wrong, or indifferent, that I don't see why we owe them anything. I don't know why the government should give them something that it wouldn't give me. Yeah, well, Shades of California, uh, we'll see how that works out. The billions of dollars that Newsom, uh, I don't know, he may have changed his mind by now because his poll numbers are going down, but I don't see how you can give people reparations who had nothing to do with it. What about Barack Obama? He certainly isn't descended from slaves. Right, right. Well, and that's what, you know, and Wayne goes on and he's like, you know, I'm not going to give you one of those I was a poor boy and I pulled myself up by my bootstrap stories, but I've gone without a meal or two in my life and I still don't expect the government to turn over any of its territory to me. Hard times aren't something I can blame my fellow citizens for. Years ago, I didn't have all the opportunities either. But you can't whine and bellyache because somebody else got a good break and you didn't, like these Indians are. We'll all be on a reservation soon if the socialists keep subsidizing groups like them with our tax money. Hmm. Think he had a strong opinions about socialism? I think he did. Uh, Lewis comes back and says, in your distaste for socialism, aren't you overlooking the fact that many worthwhile and necessary government services such as Social Security and Medicare derived essentially from socialistic programs evolved during the 30s. And Wayne says, I know all about that. In the late 20s, when I was a sophomore at USC, I was a socialist myself, but not when I left. The average college kid idealistically wishes everybody could have ice cream and cake for every meal. But as he gets older and gives more thought to his and his fellow man's responsibilities, he finds that it can't work out that way, that some people will not carry their load. And then with regard to welfare recipients, he says, I believe in welfare, a welfare work program. I don't think a fellow should be able to sit on his backside and receive welfare. 
I'd like to know why well-educated idiots keep apologizing for lazy and complaining people who think the world owes them a living. I'd like to know why they make excuses for cowards who spit in the faces of police and then run behind the judicial sob sisters. I can't understand these people who carry placards to save the life of some criminal, yet have no thought for the innocent victim. Now, doesn't this remind you of the George Floyd situation? Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter, which is, by the way, uh, having all kinds of legal problems because they have taken the donations, this particular group that's called Black Lives Matter, and uh, have used it in very shady operations. And the media doesn't want to give a whole lot of attention to that. But Playboy wants to know, who are these people you're talking about? And Wayne says entertainers like Steve Allen, who was, by the way, wrote a lot of books. I used to read some of them. I didn't agree with a lot of them. And his cronies who went up to Northern California and held placards to save the life of that guy, Carl Chessman. I just don't understand these things. I can't understand why our national leadership isn't willing to take the responsibility of leadership instead of checking polls and listening to the few that scream. Doesn't that remind you of our current situation where George Floyd, who was a street thug, who had given a counterfeit $20 bill and who was doped up on fentanyl and who knows what all else, uh, and yet he's deified? Absolutely. Absolutely. And they go on. I mean, he talks about a, an attorney, civil rights attorney, William Kuntzler, who like went on to, to defend the Chicago 7. I mean, this guy, he was kind of like um, somebody's mother who... Um, comes to mind, Mrs. Obama, that um, never met a revolutionary or a radical that, you know, they didn't want to get real involved with. But Kuntzler, he was talking about how, you know, making a speech to the Black Panthers saying that the ghetto is theirs and that if the police come in, they have a right to shoot them. And (laughs) Wayne asked, why is that dirty, no good son of a bitch allowed to practice law? You know, but it's like, the source of that statement was that he was talking to the he was talking to a Black Panthers group and he was talking about a case in New Jersey where a bunch of blacks were urged to kill a white policeman when they entered the ghetto and that there was a story of a white policeman who was stomped to death in Plainfield, New Jersey. The crowd broke into prolonged applause when Kuntzler was talking about this. And Kunstler pointed out that after that happened, no white policeman set foot in that black ghetto of Plainfield, New Jersey, um, or had since 1967. And Wayne talks about that could turn out to be a terrible thing. You know, he said, you know, at some point you could have a bunch of whites who turn out and say, well, if that's their land, then this is ours. They'd better not trespass on it. And he just remarks that that's not that's a bad that's not a good thing. It works both ways. And that's not good for our society. He recognized the dangers of segregation, this racist, homophobic, misogynist, that we're hearing about in this thing, you know, well, somewhere along the line. Yeah. He, and he talked about Herbert Marcuse. All right. Now that was a left wing, uh, professor, Dr. Herbert Marcuse at the university of California at San Diego. Wayne said, he's obviously a Marxist and says, we will use the anarchist. And then they talk, he talks about the young people at the Chicago convention. I think he's probably talking about 1968, the Chicago Democratic Convention. They were conned into doing hysterical things by a bunch of activists. Let me ask you, do you think what goes on at universities today where Ann Coulter can't speak without having a pie thrown in her face or uh, 
any, anybody that comes on a college campus with a conservative message is shouted down automatically. And, and, and are these kids being used? Are they taught this by the left-wing professors? Have we not even heard about rena mobs where yes. the, same, the same anarchists are, they pop up in city after city after city. They're being bussed from place to place in order to come in here and, and foment violence and, and chaos. Yeah, um, he talked a little bit about too much tolerance, and I find this very interesting because I think a lot of what's going on in our world today is is the over-tolerizing of America. But uh, he's talking about police. Remember, we've had the defund the police movement. Austin, Texas, where I work on a Monday through Friday basis, is a great example of this. Crime just shot up in Austin when we started uh, dropping police and defunding them. And Wayne said, when they start shooting policemen, the time has come to start knocking them off as far as I'm concerned. Lewis says, what do you mean by knocking them off? I'd throw them in the can if I could, Wayne said. But if they try to kill you, I'd sure as hell shoot back. I think we should break up those organizations, make them illegal. The American people is getting sick and tired of what these young people are doing, but it's really partly the public's own fault by allowing the permissiveness that's been going on in the past 15 or 20 years. He talks about the then famous Dr. Spock, not the one on Star Trek, but the uh, pediatrician. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Who I believe didn't want to use corporeal punishment or anything like that. But uh, too, too much tolerance. Getting the kids out there to, to do the dirty work on campus for the communist professors, defunding the police before that was even a thing. Well, and he talks about, you know, that our society has promoted an anything goes attitude in every area of life and in every American institution. Then he goes on and calls out the media saying, look at the completely irresponsible editorship of our country's newspapers. By looking for provocative things to put on their front pages, they're encouraging these kids to act the way they're acting. Fake news. We see that fake news, but we also see that with regard to like the school shooters, that everybody wants to become famous. And so we would have all of these school shooters who part of what you know, in their manifestos or their online postings and everything, you've gotten the sense that the idea that they're going to get some notoriety, they're going to get some degree of, of perverse acclaim. And not realizing that they're not going to be there to enjoy it because they're going to get shot. This is the crazy thing about that. But, you know, when this was done, and gosh, we're already running low on time. But when this was this interview was done, the big thing going on was Vietnam, and you had uh, idiots like John Kerry, who's now the uh, environmental uh, global warming czar, throwing his medals over the fence. You'll remember the other day he showed them at some event, and I guess, I guess he climbed the fence and got them back. But you may remember the My Lai massacre, and and Lewis asks him about that. What what about what Lieutenant William Calley did at me lie. And John Wayne says, well, I guess there was a little something to it uh, because it turned out that it it kind of happened. Uh, He said, but I could show you pictures of what the North Vietnamese and the Viet Cong are doing to our people over there. That's something that we see in the media today. Show everybody what the good guys are doing wrong, 
but don't show anybody how the bad guys are really far worse. A lacking of context. That, yeah, uh, precisely. That, that, but yeah, yeah. It's that, playing up the side sides. that fits the what? Right. The narrative. Exactly. Well, and that's what he went on to talking about. You know, you're bringing up stuff that's being debated in the trials when he was talking about the media coverage. And he said, what I resent is that even before the trials, this stuff was even less proven of a fact, yet the newspapers printed it anyway. So, again, he's making basically an, an allegation of fake news. Well, I'm moving over to page 14 now down toward the bottom if you've got your script there, where he's talking about politics. He's talking about Barry Goldwater and the Texan. I take the Texan to be (laughs) Lyndon Baines Johnson. He said, I don't think we ought to make an issue out of Vietnam because we both know what we're going to probably end up having to send half a million over there. And uh, that was Goldwater. Well, if we'd sent half a million and we hadn't had the same rules of engagement that we had, we might have won that war. Johnson said... Yeah, that's probably true, Barry, but I've got an election to win. So Barry told the truth, and Johnson got elected on a peace platform. And then, as I remember uh, from my history, he said, I will not run and will not accept another nomination as your president because Vietnam broke him down. Uh, you know, and John Wayne had what what has always been called the Colin Powell documents, also doctrines, also my doctrine. Don't get into war. Just don't do it unless it's absolutely necessary. If it is absolutely necessary, use maximum force and win it quickly. Well, and something else, though, along in that lines, what they were talking about is after they finished with with, um, talking to the Vietnam, Johnson, Goldwater, they went on and were talking about Nixon and um, Lewis asked, asked John Wayne about, you know, what do you think of Nixon's performance since since um you know, the war was winding down. And he said, I think Mr. Nixon is proving himself his own man. I knew he would. I knew him and stuck with him when he was a loser. And I'm sticking with him now that he's a winner. A lot of extremist rightists are saying that he isn't doing enough, but I think he's gradually wading in and getting control of the reins of government, which I found so interesting because to me, that's talking about fighting the administrative state. And there is a body of thought out there that is um, includes people like Roger Stone, people like Bobby Kennedy Jr., who would also say that, yes, indeed, and that's what Watergate was about, that Watergate was just another coup against a president to get him out of office because one of the things that was said um, that going back to Eisenhower and then Kennedy, that they recognized that if you didn't come in and clear out the administrative state every few years, that they would grow to be too much of a power. Kennedy was assassinated before he had time to do that. Nixon knew he needed to get that under control, and he was seeing evidence that he needed to get that under control with what was going on with J. Edgar Hoover and things like that, which is why he over he went over Mark Felt to become head of the FBI, because he knew Mark Felt was nothing but a deep state type person, and who Mark Felt ended up being known as Deep Throat. But nonetheless, in his second term, that was one of Nixon's stated goals was that he was going to come after the administrative state. Well, and who did Nixon serve under as vice president? 
Dwight D. Eisenhower, Correct. who was the first to warn us about the military absolutely. Uh, industrial complex. So absolutely. absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. And he watched the whitewash of the Kennedy assassination. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and I find this interesting. I'm trying to move fast here. Okay. We're, uh, it, but on page 17, toward the bottom, about uh, what made the mood in Hollywood so fashionable to take a vigorous stand against communism. And Wayne says... Many of us were being invited to supposed social functions or house parties, mostly at well-known Hollywood writers' homes that turned out to be communist recruitment meetings. He says that was actually going on. I wonder, he could never know this, because he passed away a few years after this interview was done, how in communism, socialism, and Marxism would become by 2023. Right. Well, and, you know, he was he was built vilified for having been part of the, in fact, I think he was the, the leader, I don't know if it was president, chair, whatever it was, of the Motion Picture Alliance for the Preservation of American Ideals, which was the Hollywood organization that was, you know, supposedly formed to blacklist communist and communist sympathizers. Well, in all actuality, that is, there were plenty of them out there to be concerned with, and part of these people's concerns, one of the things that, that, um, that Wayne describes in parts of the articles was his own people, people that he hired to come and work on movies that they would be on set, and they were being harassed, they were being tormented by people that were trying to recruit them into communism and using very heavy-handed tactics, and they didn't appreciate that. And so you have to wonder how much of it, yes, they didn't like these people's politics, but they especially didn't like the politics they were bringing to the job. Well, there was a communist infiltration. If you've ever studied the writings of Whitaker Chambers, if you've ever looked at the the pumpkin papers. So many people don't know what the pumpkin papers are. Not going into it now, but look up Whitaker Chambers, look up pumpkin papers, and and you'll see some things that were going on. I want to move on to page yeah. 22. Well, because, I was just going to say go real ahead. quickly, sure. he names names here of people that were, were communist or communist sympathizers. Mm-hmm. And he also talks about how they were starting to see that ideology seek into, seep into screenplays and into projects and that they didn't like that. So that advocacy that we were talking about, while it was not anything that it is now, Wayne was saying that he was seeing the beginning of that. Almost everything in this interview back in 1971 has either come to pass, if it wasn't true yet, or has intensified. And I want to make it very clear that uh, I'm, I and I think John Wayne, I can't speak for him other than to read his words here. But I believe this society has got to be a society, a society not based on skin color, but based on merit. And, and you cannot promote people simply because they check boxes. We've seen that with Katanji Brown Jackson, who can't define woman. We've seen that with Kamala Harris, who is an incompetent in every, every sense of the word. Sam Britton, Pete Buttigieg. Well, it's a never-ending list. If we could close with this. I've often thought, and people have asked me this, and I think it's a standard question, and Lewis asks it of John Wayne. If you could go back, spend some time with anybody in history, and I'll take Jesus out of that, because, I, but let's say more recent historical figures, who would you? Remember, this was 
1971, Ronald Reagan had not yet been president. So if you ask me that question about recent history, I would probably say I'd love to sit down with Ronald Reagan, Margaret Thatcher, Pope John Paul II. If you ask me about all of American history, I would just be fascinated to sit down and talk to George Washington and and probably my favorite uh, founding father other than George Washington, and you know who that is, and that was Samuel Adams, over a glass of Sam Adams beer because he was a master brewer. You want to take a guess? Of course, you've got the paper in front of you. Who did John Wayne name as who he would like to sit down and spend time with? Not surprisingly, Winston Churchill. Absolutely. Which what what we might would think we perceive of, of, of Wayne's character and his demeanor, certainly what we see in this um, in this interview, the thought process and his views on things, you can you can understand how Winston Churchill would be an appealing figure it's, for it's, him. It's crazy what he says. This is this is John Wayne. Most of what we've talked about today is quoting John Wayne. He says this while Roosevelt was giving the world communism, Churchill said I tell you, it's no use arguing with a communist. It's no good trying to convert a communist or persuade him. You can only deal with them on the following basis. You can only do it by having superior force on your side on the matter in question. That is unbelievable. Now, uh, this last question, Luann, I'll read the Playboy question and throw it back to you because I think this is sort of the question of our day. It was the question of our day in 1971, and in 2023, it hasn't lost any of its power. The question is, many pessimists insist that our nation has lost its dignity and is headed towards self-destruction. Are you that gloomy about the future of America? Well, and what's interesting is that is that Lewis puts it in the context of comparing the condition of our society society to the decline and fall of the Roman Empire and the last days of Sodom and Gomorrah. And how often is that exact reference used with what we see today? But for Wayne, as much as he recognizes the half-empty side of the glass, it really was very endearing that he is opt- was optimist- optimistic about the future. He says, you know, are you gloomy about the future? And he says, absolutely not, that the loud roar of irresponsible liberalism, which in the old days we called radicalism, is being quieted down by a reasoning public. And he said he thought the pendulum was swinging back. Perhaps it did, just not long and hard enough. Well, Bud Light, it swung back a little bit. True, and true. I think it's swinging back towards several other countries. Uh, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, but he said we must all always look, look to the future, tomorrow, the time that gives a man or a country just one more chance. It's just one of the many things that I feel are wonderful in life. And he goes on and he says, you know, as a country, our yesterdays tell us that we have to win not only a war, but we have to win at peace. And he goes on and he said, all I can hope is that in our anxiety to have peace, we remember our clear and present dangers and become aware the futility of compromise. Only if we keep both keep sight of both will we have a chance of stumbling forward into a day when there won't be guns fired anymore in anger. Imagine if he were still alive, but he'd be 116, didn't we say? Correct. If he were still alive in the world of cable news and could sit in on a panel, I wonder what he'd say. Yeah. You know, um, 
because the name of this is what would John Wayne say? And I think that uh, what John Wayne would say as he said it in 1971 I can't imagine he would say anything different today. Well, one of the things he talks about when, you know, he was asked about contrasting the America he grew up in and the America of 1971, is it the same kind of country or changed? He said, the only difference I can see is that we now have an enemy within our borders fighting with propaganda and coloring events in a manner that belittles our great country. Mm, the seeds of our own destruction. And they're here today as they were in ni- as he saw them in 1971. How about we wrap it up? with this. I think so. Lewis asks, what legacy do you hope to leave behind? Wayne says, well, you're going to think I'm being corny, but this is how I really feel. I hope my family and my friends will be able to say that I was an honest, kind, and fairly decent man. John Wayne. Happy birthday to the Duke. 160 years old. This is Lou Ann Anderson. I thank you guys for joining us today. Courage is contagious. Please get out there and help spread some around. And I'm Lynn Woolley, the Secretary of Logic, saying be logical. And we'll see you next time on Political Pursuits, the podcast, and Planet Logic. New on Curiosity Stream. I'm James Burke. I'm going to take you on a journey through time. James Burke's visionary series returns, reimagined for our time. Now, this is all uncharted territory. The Washington Post hails Burke as one of the most intriguing minds in the Western world. The New York Times raves he careens from one great moment in history to another. Where do we want to go from here? Experience all new connections. So what's the next connection? With monthly, annual, and bundled plans, find the one that works for you at curiositystream.com.